Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning and Happy New Year. Our reading is from Psalm chapter 1. After I read, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, if you'll respond by saying thanks be to God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, good morning and happy new year again. Thank you. So how many people stayed up to midnight last night? A few. Yeah? Yeah? Oh, man, that's awesome. I didn't. I made it till 1030. I'm old and sick. My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King. I see a lot of new faces here this morning. We're so glad that you made time on New Year's Day to come and, uh, and to hear God's word. Uh, I love to teach the word. I love it. It energizes me. It animates me. You wait. I'll get jumping up and down at one point, right? And, and I'm just so thrilled to be able to bring you this message this morning from Psalm 1. Psalm 1. There are two ways to live. That's my message. There are two ways to live. So what I'm going to do is go down through this psalm, only six verses, so I can only talk about probably six hours on this, maybe more. <laughs> Two ways to live, six verses, tell you what they're about, and then I'm going to give you a charge for 2023 since it's the first day of the year. That's the plan. So uh, let's pray together and pray for God's blessing on his word going forth, and then I'll jump right into it. Uh, Father God, help us this morning on this new day of the year to hear God's word. Father, help me through your Holy Spirit to be able to preach a sermon that is honoring to you and to your son Jesus. I pray that my words would be aligned with Scripture, that I would go no further and no less. Father, help me to preach this sermon. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to this church this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Psalms, 150 songs of praise. They're meant to be sung, yeah? Divided into five books. And the Psalms are scripture 
that gives us an emotion. When you think about music, secular music, music today, it's all about what's on your heart. Psalms are about what's on our heart. And when you start looking through the Psalms, you will start to see a pattern. Very often, oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, why won't you listen to me? Oh Lord, where are you? Oh Lord, my enemies have surrounded me. Oh Lord, help me. And it's me, 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 yeah? And then as the psalm progresses, you'll see a change. Oh yeah, Lord, I remember who you are. You're you're the one that keeps your promises. You're the one that's been faithful. You're the one that's been there for me. And then it goes from me to you to praise. That's a pattern of so many psalms. This psalm, Psalm 1, is a little different. Actually, Psalm 1 and 2 are a little different. Psalm 1 talks about us, how we live our life, Psalm 2 talks about the anointed king. That is the foundation for which these songs of praise begin. Who we are, and then who God's anointed king is. So today, it's a lot about us and who we are. So um, it's only six verses, and it's also called a wisdom psalm. So in the Bible, there are certain genres of literature. We understand that there's something that's called historical narrative. It tells a story. There's, there's the epistles of the New Testament, letters to churches, and they have a certain characteristic. This Psalm 1 is called a wisdom psalm. And a wisdom psalm, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament in particular, Proverbs is a wisdom psalm. It talks about how you live your life. And it often gives two options and says, okay, for example, Proverbs chapter 7, two women are personified. One is folly and the other is wisdom. Who will you follow? Will you run after folly? Will you run after wisdom? What will be the result? Who will you listen to? Psalm 1 is exactly the same. It's a wisdom psalm, and it asks the question of us, how will you live? What a great question for January 1, 2023. How will you live? Here's the outline. Verses 1 and 2, two sources. Two sources. Chapter th- or verses 3 and 4, Two results. Two results. And then verses 5 and 6, two final outcomes. So you see the two ways of living. You see how it's worked out in your life. And then you see the results. And then it begs the question, how will you live? Which will you choose? You with me? Guys are a little quiet today. I'm a little nerved up about that. You guys still kind of a little sleepy from being up last night watching Georgia go Bulldogs, yeah? All right. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2. Two sources. Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The very first word, blessed, it means happy. It means a soul satisfaction that gives you peace and happiness and a feeling of stability because of your trust in the Lord. That's the context of it. Blessed is the man. Now, how many of you here are, are ladies, women? Can you have a show of hands? So this time, you guys can go to sleep. It doesn't apply to you. Blessed is the man. Good night. Just don't snore too loud. No, of course not. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the person. And what does it say? It starts out with three negative descriptions of how not to live. Look at the text. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who walks not, see the negative? Not in the counsel of the wicked. Who are the wicked? Let's start with that. Who are the wicked? What is, what is the writer of this psalm getting at? Who are the wicked? The wicked are those who are ungodly. God is not part of their life. If there's a God, we're not following him. That's their philosophy. There probably isn't one, but we're not going to live our lives accordingly. We're ungodly. We're wicked. That's the philosophy of their life. And then it says... um, talks about counsel, who walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Where do you get your advice on how to live your life? Where does it come from? Do you go to work and, and say, hey, you know, I'm having problems with my, with my, with my kids, and, and do I just ask a bunch of people at work, and, and do, they, do you get counsel from them? Sometimes. Do you, do you go to the Internet, and do you Google, and do you see all the, the websites that come up, and do you get your counsel and advice from there? Do we, do we look to celebrities? I'm always amazed when celebrities make statements about things and you look at their lives and they're an utter disaster and we're listening to them. We're going to live our lives accordingly. We're going to hear their advice and incorporate it. Are we out of our minds? But it creeps in, you know. It, where It's like an osmosis. It's like... All of this stuff is constantly bombarding us with a philosophy of life that is utterly ungodly and it soaks into us. Blessed is the person who doesn't listen to that counsel or advice from the wicked, from the ungodly. That's a warning for us. (laughs) That's advice for us. Well, who do we listen to? That's coming in a minute. Next part, second negative thing, nor stands in the way of sinners. 
Well, who are the sinners? Well, we know that sinning means missing the mark, not measuring up to what God's standard is. But it's really, really more than that. A sinner is someone who's an enemy of God, who, who is working against him. And what does it say here? nor stands in the way. Now, you may think standing in the way means getting in their way. Don't get in their way. Just get out of the way. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that at all. It means to walk in their footprints. It means to try the shoes on that they're wearing and walk in their pattern of life. So first off, you get this idea of the wicked, the ungodly, and their philosophy. Now you start to hear it, don't you? Now you start to walk in that counsel. Now you start to kind of live it out in your life. And again, very insidious. It happens to us all the time, and sometimes we don't even know it. And then the third, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. Who are the scoffers? Think about it. Think, there's a little progression here. You hear the advice. It kind of sinks in a little bit. You start acting that way. You start living your life accordingly. And what happens to you? Pretty soon, you're in your lazy boy, sitting in your chair, and you're looking at biblical principles, at Christian values, and you start to sneer at them. Oh, come on. How can we just do this outdated thing? What do you mean women can't be pastors? That's ridiculous. How come we just, and we start to sneer, and we start to mock, and we start to scoff at what the Bible clearly says. We look at it maybe as quaint. Well, look at what they... And then we start to look at it as outdated. And then we look at it as irrelevant. And we start to look at our place in history and think we have all the answers and we know what's right. We look at the older generation it's like, oh yeah, they didn't know anything, but we do. You're sitting in the seat now of a judge. That's what this is portraying. And you're mocking and you're sneering and you're scoffing at Christian principles. Do you see how that works? Do you see the danger there? Do you see it all around you? It's a progression. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And we know that this affects every part of our life. How we view our work. How do you view your work? Do you view it as a gift of God and that you're serving God? That's how the Bible describes it. Or do you look at it as a way to get ahead and a place of power and money and all that goes with that? What about your family? What about sexuality? What about all these things? It creeps into every single part of our life. We hear the advice, we walk in the shoes, and pretty soon Christianity is outdated and ridiculous, and we sneer at it. Don't do it. What do we do? 
Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Two positive things. Delight in the law of the Lord. That's speaking to the heart. That's speaking to our emotions, our affections. Do you delight in Scripture? Do you delight in it? Do you enjoy it? Does it feed you and nourish you and fuel you and give you joy in your life? Do you delight in it? Happy are you. And then the second part, on his law, he meditates. He meditates. Now we've gone from the heart to the mind. Christianity is about both. Is what is our mind occupied with? Here, it's the law of the Lord. And notice what it says. He meditates day and night. When you wake up at 2 a.m., what do you think about? Do you toss and turn and wish for sleep? Or do you look at it as a time to pray to the Lord? And to think about your brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for them. And to think about maybe a Bible passage that you read. And to put that into your mind. And meditate upon it and think about it and turn it over. Or do you just waste that time tossing and turning? Just an idea. Just a thought. Day and night. So what does he mean by the law? It means the Torah. The, the, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses. And, and the psalmist is specifically speaking about that. Now that is a very common Old Testament theme. Let me just give you two passages. I'll read them. They're both found in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. So you have an, an incredible value in the sight of God. A, a treasure. Out of all the peoples of the earth, you were called. Not because you were more in number, and it goes on and on and talks about it. So, what are you to do? I'm in the wrong chapter. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. There's no better description of what it means. It has to be every part of your life, 
right? But what happens, particularly with the law, you often say in your mind, well, I'll, I'll make it some kind of a legalistic kind of thing. And that's what the Pharisees did. They took this portion and they said, oh, we're going to bind it on, their hand, on our hands. So they took a portion of Scripture and they took a cord and they wrapped it physically on their hands. And so they walked around with these things called phylacteries. And there it was. We have the Scripture on our hands. We're doing what it says. Is that right? Or they had the frontlet. They took a portion of the Word of God, they put it in a little box, and they hung it from a band around their head down between their eyes, and they walked around, a little bit like Frankenstein's monster, I think, kind of looking with this thing in front of their eyes. Was that what God wanted them to do? So there's a danger when we talk about the law of applying it in a very legalistic way. And that's not the point. And I want to, at the end of this, I want to help you see a better way of applying it and of doing it. And now we have verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 1. Two results. Two, two similes based on agriculture. We have a tree and we have some chaff. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. And all that he does, he prospers. So a tree is a very common image in the Bible. It's a metaphor that's used over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. And this tree, the difference with this tree is what? It's planted by streams of water. There is a continual source of moisture to draw from. And what does it have? Two things. What does it say? It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So first thing it has is fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is a source of of nourishment for the tree? For others. And then it has these leaves, and the leaves don't wither. It's sort of like, almost like an evergreen kind of a situation. And what do leaves do? When you think of the conditions where this psalm was written, this arid desert condition, there's nothing better than to sit under a tree with leaves and be shaded from the heat of the sun and be refreshed by the shade that it provides. So there's fruit and there's shade. They're both there. And the result of that is prosperity. It says... Um, 
in all that he does, he prospers. That is not financial gain, my friends. This is not the prosperity gospel. The prosperity that this is speaking about is a life that's transformed by God that provides nourishment and shade for other people. Fruit and leaves for others. That is how you prosper. You're taking the law into your soul. It's changing you and transforming you. So instead of thinking all about yourself, you now have fruit for other people, nourishment. Look, look at the day we live in. The frustration, the anger, the hurt that we see every day. Are you a source of shade for people? Think about that. A source where they can come beside you and sit in your home and be out of the intensity of the world we live in? Think about that. That is how you prosper. That is how you're used by God. Fruit, nourishment, shade. And then uh, it says in verse 4, now it talks about the, uh, the results of the wicked. The wicked are not so. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. This idea, we don't see it in our day, this idea of taking wheat and winnowing wheat. You have a winnowing fork, and you throw the heads of the wheat up in the air, and you beat them in the air with the fork, and the grains of wheat are heavier, and they fall. The chaff is lighter, and the wind blows it away. What is the chaff good for? Nothing. It has no stability. It has no root. It has no vitality. It has no life. It has no nourishment. It is good for nothing. So you see the result of the tree planted by the water or the chaff. Which will you be? Do you hear voices in your head? Anybody hear voices ever? Years ago, I listened to a sermon. My favorite Bible teacher is a man named D.A. Carson. And I remember sitting uh, at a big Bible conference, and he preached on this. And Carson is sort of a little man, but a very powerful voice. And he, I just, I can hear him to this day. Whenever I read someone, he said, this idea about the wicked He said the Hebrew, the word not so comes first. Not so the wicked. And I can hear Carson all excited, spit flying. Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. I hear that voice to this very day. Not so the wicked. Therefore, the final outcome, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So we see this word, therefore. Therefore. That means we're coming to a summary. This is what I'm getting at, the, the, the psalmist is saying. Uh, therefore, 
Therefore, what? Here's the point. How you live has eternal consequences. How you live has eternal consequences. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They have no root. They have no fruit. They have no life. They have no vitality. They have no basis to stand before God. I just spit there. Did you see that? That's pretty cool. (laughs) Good thing no one's sitting there. I'm over here, Dan. I won't come over here anymore, okay? They will not stay. This is talking about eternity. They have no claim. They have nothing. We claim, you, know, you know what we claim in the judgment? Oh, I did really good, Lord. Oh, I was faithful. Oh, I even came to New King on, on, on New Year's Day. I got up early and I came. No, 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 no. We plead the blood of Christ, don't we? That's our only plea. The wicked have nothing to plead. They have no standing. And what happens? They face the judgment of God. The final outcome is the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They will not be in that final community of saints, that congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. They will be in the community the congregation of the righteous. What does it mean when he says the Lord knows their way? Here's something really cool I'm going to share with you. First time the word knows comes up is in the book of Genesis. Adam knew his wife. Remember that? And you're thinking, what does that mean? You know, what kind of a euphemism is that? Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. So we get an incredible insight about what it means to know from an Old Testament perspective. What does it mean? Intimate. Now think about Adam knowing his wife. The most intimate participation that makes them one flesh. Are you following me? Adam knew his wife. The most intimate participation that draws them together to make them one flesh. An eternal bond which should not be broken. And what does it result in? She conceives. Life. And now we read in Psalm 1, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows us in the most intimate way such that we become one with him and life results. That's what it means to know. We talk about God's foreknowledge in the New Testament, and we get all nerved up about it, and we say, oh, yeah, God knew who would believe and all that. No. God knew us before we were formed, and he had an unbreakable relationship with us that would end up in life, eternal life for us. That's what it means to know. Isn't that amazing? Here it is in Psalm 1. Okay, almost through with this. 
And then it says about the wicked, the way of the wicked will perish. There are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live. There's not a third way. There's not a way where you can straddle in the middle. There are only two ways with two results. Which will you choose? Which will you choose in 2023? So let me finish up with a little charge for us. And I, I, I take that from the New Testament, from, from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, where Paul charges Timothy, I charge you. And, and I'm not pretending to be Paul or anything like that. I'm just saying, let's look at what God would want for you in 2023, and let me verbalize it for you. And let me make it something for you to think about, to encourage you in your life, in your, in your walk with Jesus. A charge. I give you this charge. Make a commitment to read and really read God's word for this year. That's the charge. As simple as that. Number one, I don't mean to offend anybody here. Get a Bible. And what I mean by that is get a flesh and blood with pages Bible. Now, I tease you guys a lot about being old and I don't know technology. I was an aerospace engineer for 37 years. I know technology. I use my phone a lot. There's nothing like having the word of God on the page in front of you. Trust me on this. What you miss, and I use my phone for certain applications, certain biblical applications, you miss seeing the connections. You miss seeing the word on the page. It's so easy to to look back and forth and see, oh, this word occurs down here, and oh, there it is there. When all you have is three verses on your phone, you miss out. You really, really, trust me, young people. I know you guys love to have a phone, and I have a phone too. Get a Bible. Get a flesh and blood Bible. And we have some for free. We will give you one on your way out if you don't have one. Take that Bible, and now what do you do with it? You read it. You study it. You meditate upon it. Look, you say, oh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my verse for this morning and it's going to take three minutes. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You've got you've to eat it. The scripture talks about eating the word. You've got to chew on it. You've got to digest it. You've got to make it part of yourself. Where do I begin? Here's an example. Next Sunday. We are going to start 2 Timothy. We did 1 Timothy. We had an Advent series. Now we're starting 2 Timothy. Open up that Bible that you got from out back there. Start reading through 2 Timothy. Four short chapters. Read it every single day. Right? Read it. Get it. And ask the questions. Okay, what is Timothy's? What is the message that Paul is giving Timothy? What themes do I see? Start taking some notes. Think about it. Pick out a verse 
and say, man, what does that verse mean? Meditate upon it. Think about it. I know a lot of people start reading through the whole Bible in January. I'm a big believer in that. That's great. But get a hold of a portion of Scripture. When we finished up 1 Timothy, you know what I've been doing the last six weeks? Every single day, I go through 2 Timothy. I want to understand it. I want to know what God's message is. I want to know what the themes are. I want, to, I, I want to have it in my soul. I want to meditate upon it. And it's already brought me tremendous joy. I feel blessed by spending that time in the Word. So get a Bible. Take Second Timothy. Read through it. Meditate upon it. Now, I want to finish up with one thing here. I want to try to help you. The psalm talked about the law of God. And it sounds boring, and it sounds dead, and it sounds lifeless, and it's apt to make me a legalist, right? And, and it, there's, a, there's actually a sickness that, that Christians sometimes get. We call it the Leviticus syndrome. You ever heard of it? So everybody gets a Bible and say, man, I'm going to start out in January. I'm going to read through the Bible. And they read Genesis. And it's all fun and it's creation and, and, and Abraham and the patriarchs and Joseph in prison and all that stuff. And it's great. And then we get to Exodus and they're freed from bondage. They're freed from slavery. And they're brought out with a great hand and the Passover is out. And it's great. I'm so excited. I'm reading my Bible. And then I get to Leviticus. <laughs> what? is this. I can't do it. Right? And you quit. Because it's the law coming in. And you start seeing it, and it's like, that's killing me. And it starts out, how does Leviticus start out? You have all these offerings, right? Chapter one is the burnt offering. And it's like, it's like hideous. You're going to take an animal, you're going to flay it, and you're going to cut it, and you're going to put these parts here and those parts there, and then you're going to burn it on the altar. It's like, how does that relate? I'm done with this, right? No. Don't you see? The burnt offering, it's a voluntary offering where a man says, not because of compulsion, I will go and make an offering of my best and I will give it all to God. And it will suffer the flames of judgment. Who is that talking about? Do you not see? That's about Jesus. And the next one, chapter 2, is the meal offering. Take a, take a, a, a container of fine flour. There's no lumps in it. It's perfect. You know what it's like to put your hand and pour out flour and it feels so good in your hand? And you offer it to God. What is that? That's the perfect life. Jesus offering himself to God. When you start seeing that, all of a sudden the law takes on something that's exciting and it causes us to worship. And then you get to the middle of Leviticus. What's that about? You remember that? The law of the leper. Remember that? Who on earth? And it talks about all these hideous skin diseases and lesions. And if it's got white hair growing out, it's like, what is this? The interesting thing about it is 
when you read, when the person is completely covered with leprosy, when he looks at himself and says, there's not a healthy spot in me, what happens? He can be healed. When we look at ourselves and say, I am just a sinner, there's no good in me, then new life can happen and we can be saved. And it goes on and on. When you get your eyes open to it, you can see how exciting and wonderful it is. And I want to close with a New Testament portion. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? It's one of Jesus' great wisdom teachings. How does it begin? Yeah, blessed. It begins with the Beatitudes. We all know that, right? How does Psalm 1 begin? Blessed. Interesting. Then how does the Sermon on the Mount progress in the middle? It's all about the law. Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you look at your brother with hate, it's the same thing. And he goes through all the law, and he talks about it. How does the Sermon on the Mount end in Matthew 7? Guess what? There's two ways to live. Isn't that interesting? There's a tree with two types of fruit. There's only two types of fruit. There's either good fruit or bad fruit. And there's a result. The bad fruit gets thrown away. The good fruit gets used. There's workers in a kingdom. There's only two types. Those that do the will of the Father, and those that have their phones on in church. (laughs) There's only two. (laughs) There's only two ways. And then it ends with building a house. There's only two ways to build, is there? You either build your house on the sand, or you build your house on a rock. Do you see? Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount are connected completely. They're almost the same, but expanded. And the key verse, what I want to leave you with is this key verse, which says this, wherever it is. uh, 5.17, where um, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them to embody them, to give them flesh and blood. God wrote the law with someone in mind, a person. He didn't write the law to give us a bunch of rules and regulations to ruin our fun, to make us legalists, He was painting a portrait of someone, his beloved son. You see that? It's a vivid description of the object of his affections. And then we read in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Luke the resurrection, the two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with them, and it says at the, at 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he unfolded all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. The law and the prophets. And their hearts burned within them. Do you see? It's all about Jesus. And we look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, and we miss the forest for the trees. It's about Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean, poor in spirit? It means those that depend upon God. They know they can't do it themselves, and they have utter dependence on the Father. And that was Jesus. Blessed are those that mourn. Jesus was the man of sorrows. Blessed are the meek. Oh, Jesus was meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus was hungry. And Jesus was thirsty. Blessed are the merciful. Was Jesus merciful? You see, it's all about him. I could go on, but let's, let's stop now. It's 11 o'clock. In 2023, come to the word of God with new eyes. Devote yourself to the scriptures. Read it. Meditate upon it. Eat it. Some of it will make you choke a little bit. It'll be hard to swallow. And that's good. <laughs> you know why we read the Bible? We read it so that we can be transformed and changed into a likeness of Jesus. We become what we read and what we have in our minds and our hearts. It's a transformation process. It's a change process. So when you come to a portion that's like, man, I don't, this is so hard, rejoice because God is going to change you through it. Work through it. Be in agony over it. Think about it. Pray about it, read it, memorize it, try to understand it. Because if you do, you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, help us in 2023 to read your word, to study your word, to meditate upon your word, not to learn facts, not to learn things about, but to know your word, your son Jesus to know him better, to worship him more, and to be more like him. Father, help us to do that in 2023. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.